Thanks for tuning in to Over the Road Bible, a podcast from TFC Global. I'm your host, John Coupel, and I'm TFC Global's Denver area chaplain. Over the past few years, I've been a pastor, overseas missionary, and chaplain, and I love to learn and teach the Bible. When I learned about the challenges that truckers and professional drivers face here in America, like loneliness, isolation, addictions, and everything else that's rampant in the industry, I decided to become a chaplain with TFC Global to make an impact in people's lives. This podcast is for anyone who wants to listen, but I'm making it with professional drivers in mind. In our time together each week, we'll read and study the Bible in a short form that can be listened to on the road or on a break at a truck stop. I'll also do my best to let you know about resources to help you get plugged in to Christian community on the road. If this podcast is a blessing to you, I would love for you to share it with others so that it can be a blessing for them too. So we left off the story last time with Jesus and the disciples finishing the trip from Judea to Galilee. On the way, Jesus went through Samaria and met the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, which led to the salvation of many people in the nearby town where she lived. Afterwards, he arrived in Galilee and got a warm welcome because all the people there were in Jerusalem for the feast, and they saw what he did in the temple when he cleared out the money changers. So these were people who would have sold their animal sacrifice in their hometown in Galilee so that they only needed to travel with money rather than with livestock and then bought a new cow or goat or whatever they uh, were going to sacrifice when they got to the temple. The money changers were trying to rip off these folks and make a buck and Jesus put a stop to it. So it makes sense that they love him and are happy to have him around and give him a warm welcome. What we'll see in this passage is that even though they seem to love him and they know what he did for them in Jerusalem, they don't necessarily believe that he's the Messiah yet. So let's read John chapter 4, starting in verse 46 and going to the end of the chapter. Read along if you are somewhere where you can open up your Bible or listen in. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. I would love to tell you about a great resource for you, the Gateway to Freedom Foundation. 
It's TFC Global's anti-human trafficking initiative that combats human trafficking by driving down the demand in cities across the United States. We accomplish this by freeing and protecting people from consumer sexual beliefs and behaviors so they can thrive in their life, relationships, and community. We connect buyers of consumer sex to proven pathways and resources that lead to freedom. We educate on victim identification, as well as how to respond in safe and effective ways leading to rescue. We train chaplains and lay leaders across the United States to identify and deter criminal activity. If you need help in a shame-free environment to be set free of sexual sin, please reach out to the TFC Global Office at 717-426-9977 or email us at gateway at tfcglobal.org. little bit of a shorter passage for you this week and the first thing we noticed as we were reading these verses is that Jesus and the disciples are back in Cana in Galilee and you'll remember and if you don't remember John points out that this is where the wedding feast was when Jesus did his first sign and turned the water into wine and of course we just read the passage so I'm not keeping you in suspense when I say that this is the same place that he's now about to do the second sign we're going to look at this sign and take another quick look at the first sign and compare some of the language that we see here. So it says that when he came to Cana, there was an official from Capernaum who went there because his son was sick. When this guy heard that Jesus was in town, he went to ask Jesus to heal his son. Now, if you don't know, Capernaum is about 20 miles away from Cana, and he most likely walked that entire distance. Maybe being an official, he might have had some sort of animal to carry him, but likely he probably walked 20 miles to come and see Jesus. Now, what I have to wonder at this point is what gave this guy the idea that Jesus was capable of healing his son. Up to this point in John's gospel, we definitely haven't seen Jesus heal anybody. He's called some of the disciples. The disciples have been baptizing people. He flipped over some tables in the temple. He had some debates with some Pharisees. He met with a woman at the well in Samaria, but he has not done any healing. So somehow this official thought that Jesus would be capable of it, and he was sure enough about that to walk 20 miles to go and meet Jesus. So maybe this official had heard some of the rumors that the Messiah who was prophesied about in the Old Testament had come. And if he was familiar with the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, then maybe he was anticipating that the Messiah would be someone who could offer physical healing. Maybe he was familiar with some of the prophecies in Isaiah, where Isaiah gives multiple prophecies that God would redeem the people of Israel out of their exile and their dispersion, creating a new nation once again, just like he did when he redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt and made them into a new nation. One of, um, one of the great challenges of reading and understanding Old Testament prophecies is that the prophecy is partially fulfilled when the nation of Israel or Judah, whoever was being prophesied to, was uh, specifically Judah coming back from Babylon, was returned to its land after exile. These prophecies are partially fulfilled in Jesus's first coming, and we also see a sort of culmination uh, fulfillment in eschatological prophecy, which is means that the, these Old Testament prophecies will be fulfilled in the end times. So as we look at Isaiah's prophecies that maybe this official was familiar with, 
we'll, we'll look at the f- fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus, but the prophecy is not exclusive to that understanding. So hopefully that makes sense as I, as I try to express these prophecies about Jesus, that they are not exclusively necessarily in every case about Jesus, but oftentimes they related to the return of the people of Israel, the protection and God's provision for the people of Israel. Um, so with that in mind, let's take a look at Isaiah. Uh, this is in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is a, a great prophecy about healing that God is going to provide for Israel when he uh, brings them from the land that they have been scattered to. Uh, but it is also this it has this undertone of healing that seems to be fulfilled in Jesus's first coming. There's a similar prophecy later on, uh, but also by Isaiah in chapter 53. And this is one of the poems in a section that is often referred to as the suffering servant poems because of their clear connection to the idea of Jesus's crucifixion and how that's fulfilled in his, uh, in his earthly suffering at the crucifixion. So Isaiah writes here in chapter 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And it could be that this man knew these prophecies, this official from Capernaum, and expected that if Jesus really was the Messiah, like maybe the rumors were were saying, then he might be able to help his sick and dying son. So the official, he comes to Jesus and he asks for Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, so first and foremost, remember what is John's goal in writing his account, his gospel of Jesus's life. Going back to the end of the book of John, where he tells us sort of the thesis statement of why and how he's written his book. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If we want to look at it this way, we have sort of three steps of causation. This is sort of John's logic pattern as he's writing this book. Step one is that Jesus does signs. Step two is that the signs cause belief. And step three is that belief causes life. So at first glance, Jesus' statement to the official, it almost sounds accusatory. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It's like he's saying, why won't you believe without seeing signs? But I don't think it's supposed to be read as accusatory. I think that is sort of a cause of the translation into English. Rather, I think this statement is one of purpose on Jesus' part. I think what he's really saying is the healing of your son as important as that is to both you and to me, it's not my ultimate goal. Your belief is my ultimate goal, and I'm going to give you the sign as a means for you to believe. So while we, the readers, have seen Jesus use conversations about what I'm going to call normal things uh, and turn them into conversations about spiritual things. We've seen it a few times now, the woman at the well in Samaria. We've seen it with Nicodemus. It seems like that's also what's going on here, but this official, 
He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, and he's obviously incredibly worried about his son who is dying, just like any of us would be. And he says to Jesus, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Now look at the official's response to what Jesus says. He believes the word. Does he believe in Jesus? Maybe, maybe not. We can't really know that yet, but I think this is setting up a pattern for us to understand. Because first, he believes the word, then later, once the word is proven true, then he believes in Jesus. So from this point, he leaves and he starts heading back along the 20-mile journey. And while he's on the way back to Capernaum, his servants meet him and they tell him, uh, you know, Master, your son, who you went to get help for, he started recovering while you were gone. And this official, he interrogates them and he, he finds out from them that his son started to recover. Uh, and he learns that it was right when Jesus told him that his son would live. That was the moment that his son began recovering. And so that interaction with his servants, that proved what Jesus said to be true. And then he believes in Jesus, and in fact, his entire family, uh, that's what it means when it says his whole household, his entire family also believes. Now, the last thing that John tells us in this story is that this is the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. So before we had only seen one sign, we haven't talked about much of the details that connect the signs. And although I've pointed them out, I haven't drawn attention to them because we only had one sign to consider before. Now that we're looking at the second sign, we can consider the similarities of the two signs and begin to develop a pattern to look for as we're reading through the Gospel of John to help us understand how he's using the signs. Remember the pattern goes, number one, Jesus does a sign. Number two, people believe, and number three, belief causes life. So wouldn't it be logical, as John describes the signs to us, that this, the way he describes them would also follow the same pattern that he points out at the end of his book? I think that would be extremely logical. And in fact, that's exactly what's going to happen. And this is important to note because John isn't going to list and number every sign throughout his story like he's done with the first one in chapter 2 and the second one in chapter 4. So from this point forward, we're going to have to act, if we want to accurately find the signs, we're going to have to be able to notice the pattern of sign, believe, life. So we see this pattern in the first sign when we look back at John chapter 2 verse 11. And this one is easy because it is obviously labeled as a sign. John tells us it's the first sign that Jesus did. And what he says when this happens in verse 11 of chapter 2 is that his disciples believed in him. So the sign and the subsequent belief were connected. We didn't point it out before because it didn't matter before. We only had one sign to look at, but now I'm pointing it out to you. The sign and the subsequent belief are connected. Now at the second sign, which we've been looking at today, after the official son is miraculously healed, even when Jesus is not present with the son, he, the, the official, he believes and so does the rest of his house. So once again, there's the sign of Jesus healing the official son and the subsequent belief that comes as a result of the sign. It gives us the pattern that we need to be on the lookout for through the rest of John's gospel.
Now, because this is not my first time through John's Gospel, I also want to give you a little hint, because this might be your first time studying through John's Gospel. Sometimes, instead of telling us about people who believed, some of the signs will be marked by telling us about people who did not believe, especially in cases where the sign is done before Pharisees. So sometimes it will be the sign and subsequent belief of the people who witnessed it, and sometimes it will be the sign, and John will point out the unbelief of people who might have been there to witness it. It seems like John's idea is that when we, the readers, see that the people in the story believe or they don't believe because of the signs that Jesus is doing, we will also believe because of the signs that Jesus does. That's at least the response that he's looking for. And that's ultimately the design of how John puts this whole story together. It gives us the big picture of his gospel. Thank you for listening to Over the Road Bible, a teaching podcast from TFC Global. I hope this has been an encouragement and blessing for you. If you'd like to support this podcast and TFC Global Chaplaincy Services in Denver, please follow the PayPal link in the description below to donate. Tune in next week and we'll keep studying through the Gospel of John. Thank you for the work you do on the road. God bless you.